Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Uh, happy Monday. Wow. It is February 17th, 2020. Is it slow or what, huh, guys? It seems like a slow news day. I mean, for the first time, we had a rally with a Daytona 500. I mean, how awesome was that? Um <clears throat> This weekend was pretty incredible. A lot of things are coming out. Uh, the global cabal is coming out in full force to defend themselves, to begin setting uh, setting the stage for their narrative of how they can excuse themselves. And of a friend of mine, a journalist friend of mine was like, please tell me you watch 60 Minutes. And I was like, uh, no, I was busy doing X, Y, Z it'll make your blood boil. Oh my gosh. I was expecting this, but I wasn't expecting them to be on 60 minutes again. Cause it seems like 60 minutes is the way these corrupt clowns set the narrative. Because for some reason, people actually believe that whatever 60 minutes puts out is real news. And it's not, it's simply entertainment. And we see this with what Dan Rather tweeted out this morning. How disgusting, right? To remind us how presidents have to speak. No, man, this president has given the country back to the people. He is speaking for the people. No filters, no dilly dallying. It's done. It's over. And they can't get over that at all. And you know what was the funniest thing of this NASCAR? I want you guys to listen to this clip. I was like, whoa, did timelines converge? Air Force One, President Trump arriving here at Daytona International Speedway. The 46th president of our United States. 46th. Timelines have converged. See, the thing is, many... um, Many people don't seem to, okay, let me not say don't seem. You're not supposed to, unless you're a physicist and study this. It's not like you're going to know. So, oh, and this is a great time for me to plug this. So I started a subscribe star and this is kind of like bonus Tori says, but stuff that doesn't usually sit on uh, national airwaves very well. So this weekend I put up my first episode from my subscribers only, where I break down to you how the intelligence community recruits and how they operate. And this this episode is more so you can get into the groove to be able to digest. Because when people, when you see people, when they write articles, when they talk, other radio show hosts, podcast hosts, uh, you know, uh, social media personalities, uh, vote boards, Chan boards, everything. When you hear or read that you really don't want to know the truth because it is so appalling, so horrific that you won't be able to digest it. It's true, but it's kind of like, um, preparation, right? So I'm hoping that these bonus shows, um, for you guys give you better insight. And rather than me throw in, you know, the whole reality and projects at once, I thought I can help 
share information because as we learn the minute details, things make sense. If we understand the foundations, it makes sense. It was kind of like when I first um, interacted with chemistry. So I'm, I'm very good at studies. I'm very good at remembering things. Boy, that memory of mine is solid. But I couldn't grasp my mind around electrons orbiting certain ways around atoms. Legit, I couldn't. I couldn't fathom that there was such a microcosm that it was causing me, um, it was disrupting for it was disrupting in the way to learn until I could actually embrace the idea that these atoms have electrons around them and they spin on their own axis and spin around the atom and they vibrate and get manipulated with frequencies. They vibrate and, um, you know, alter spin, alter their themselves, jump out of orbits, depending on proximity to other until I could actually conceive that thought because it was very hard for me to conceive and accept. It was like I woke up, right? When I woke up and understood, whoa, this is how, this is the foundation of everything. And then it builds and builds and builds and builds. And it's kind of like how people say uh, organisms are all carbon-based. Well, they're carbon, phosphorus, nitrogen, hydrogen, right? And oxygen. Those are the main components of almost every single living organism on this planet. Five, five. And yet we can't recreate it, but you know, I digress. So hopefully these shows will allow you to wake up to, to, to ideas, not ideas, but actual facts and circumstances that otherwise, when you start from, you know, the middle of the story, it makes no sense. You need the foundation. So hopefully that helps. You guys can find me on subscribe, uh, subscribe star. Tori says, I think I tweeted out the link late last night. I was trying to, um, edit it myself. I have an archivist, WH Tempest, who does most of the archiving of everything I do whose birthday is tomorrow. And, um, you know, uh, I, I just did it on my own. I was struggling, but the sound is good. Okay. It's not pitchy or anything. And I think I'm getting the hang of, um, editing things. Not as good as, um, WH though. Now I digress on that sense. I just wanted to tell you this because the stuff we're going to talk about today, that'll actually give you some insight on what we're talking about. Um, now and, so we're going to talk about CrowdStrike. We're going to talk about Seth Rich. We're going to talk about Loretta Lynch. And we're just going to put it all out there so it's easily understood. I mean, I've said it. I've written about it. I've talked about it before. And I've been extremely straightforward with it. Now, I am getting a lot of DMs and I got some tweets today. Hey, why don't you share your stuff with Ed Batowski or Matt Couch? There's a- no, they're reporting on stuff, right? They weren't in the stuff. And if, you know, and if you're in something, you don't share it with people because they 
then, you know, you don't, you can't be responsible for what they do with whatever you have. And then in the end, you're the irresponsible one or you're the one that betray your group or whatever it is, right? So you have to understand that everything is mm, separate, um, Matt Couch is a great guy. Um, he's just an average American guy that was like, why is no one looking into this murder? Cause it's obviously murder. He's been attacked, lost everything, his life upside down for doing what? Becoming the news because the news weren't doing it. Right. And now insert Ed Batowski. You know, Matt's a really good guy. And, um, you know, I, I, I believe uh, very much so that sometimes, um, saying more is better than saying less on those things, but I digress <laughs> again. Now, what have we seen from when I told you that the boots have come on to February? We have seen a lot of events and we've seen a lot of panic. The Democratic Party is in pure, sheer panic. They are so upset, so confused. They don't know which way to come and go. We have a barrage of people that are former, former justice employees, former keyword, former. And then we have journalists. It's like, all right, Brian Settler, take a seat. All right, Rachel Maddow. I mean, that dude really gets on my... That dude Maddow is so dumb. Uh, uh, We're signing a petition to remove Barr. Look, as a citizen, you have every right to. The minute you put your news station behind it, that's a thing. You know, that's a thing. Now, I've never hidden... Uh, you know, my reservations about Attorney General Barr, having known very well uh, his actions in the past. Uh, and again, like I said, when the time allows, I will talk about my trip to Panama. Now, on that note, it does not mean that uh, he can't be like the prodigal son. So, um, I'll share a personal experience on this for a second so you understand where I'm going with this. So it was um, the holiday the, the, in, in, in the Greek Orthodox Church, there is a day that we celebrate the prodigal son. And it just so happened to be this Sunday. And um, uh, when I was, um, I had taken time off um, and it was like, a, I think, four day leave. And I wanted to surprise my parents. So I arrived in my little suitcase, um, still dressed up. And it was way early in the morning. And, you know, I, for some reason, I felt the need to go to church. And I go to a church that I usually don't go to. But for some reason, I took a left rather than going straight ahead. And it was the Church of St. John's. And I I remember opening the door and the priest at that moment, guys, started like reciting, you know, portions of, you know, the scriptures and said, my, my child who had gone away to the foreign lands, you know, you have come back home to me, guys. I was like in tears. I was like, oh my gosh, this priest is like to- totally talking to me. And reading that story of the prodigal son is exactly what redemption is. So, you know, those people that redeem themselves, those that repent or those that understand the wrong, right? 
when they decide to repent or they want to remedy the wrongs, they do a better job than a guy who has been a straight arrow forever. Now, I am not saying this is the case with Attorney General Barr, but what I'm saying is it's a possibility. And if that possibility has any percentage of being correct, I'm going to sit back and watch. But again, not all my eggs in a basket, because remember, the most powerful person against any evil any wrongdoings and any crime is the one that has experienced, has observed, has done and executed, right, themselves, right? This is why you see so many movies where when they want to find serial killers, they go tap into people like Hannibal, right? Because they know they are experts. They know the ground. They know how things operate, okay? So I'm going to just leave it at that for now, because the one thing I do is trust my president. And the one thing I do is trust everyone that is working together, all of us working together to keep and prop up and continue the work that is being done on the periphery to close in this deep state locally and globally. So with that, I wanted you guys to recognize that the liberals, the insane, I love, you know, everybody on the planet and, uh, you know, <laughs> open our borders and such. Even they are starting to understand that there is a wealthy elite, a very wealthy elite. So for, on that, I wanted to play a certain little clip from a show called The Infographic Show. They put a lot of information together and it is literally titled The Wealthy Elite That Owns the Entire World in 2019. Now, the reason I'm playing this for you is because now you're going to understand a little bit more on how this crowd strike thing is working, how Bloomberg is coming into the picture and all of that. Take a listen. It's quite a large place. It includes 123 billion acres, and of these, 37 billion are land. If it were to be divided equally among the world's population, it would mean each person would get more than four acres. Unfortunately, as we all know, this is not quite how the world works. Instead, while many have a small plot of their own, others own the territory of entire nations. Let's find out who owns the biggest chunks of the earth in this episode of The Infographic Show. Who owns the most land in the world? Number 10 is Amir Sheikh Sabah Al Ahmad Al Jabbar Al Sabah of Kuwait, whose land covers 4.4 million of the 7 million acres in Kuwait. The American government owns some of the area that isn't his and has used it to build a large base. The state of Kuwait is bordered by Iraq and Saudi Arabia, and its coastline meets the Persian Gulf. Its inland territory is dry, harsh desert, but at its shore sits the Kuwait Bay. Kuwait is the fifth largest producer of oil and is therefore quite a wealthy country. 98% of its income comes from oil, and the industry is a source of employment for 96% of its working population. It is so well off that citizens pay no taxes while receiving free healthcare and education. Sheikh Al Sabah, who pledged $500 million in aid for the Syrian population, has gotten recognition for his generosity in humanitarian endeavors. Number 9 is King Letsi III of Lesotho 
who owns 11,718 square miles of country, along with its diamond mines. His position is mostly symbolic, but though he has no political power, he still maintains ownership of this land. The Kingdom of Lesotho is known for its high mountain peaks as well as its valleys and is surrounded by the country of South Africa. It's a poor region that relies upon its neighbor for power and for employment of its people. While tourism and the diamond trade have brought in profit, they appear to fall short of the needs of the Lesotho population. This is despite the fact that it grows at a slower than average rate. Number 8 is King Jigmi Keshar Nangjel Wangchuk of Bhutan, who owns about 15,000 square miles of land. He ascended the throne in 2006 at the age of 18 after his father, who began his reign at the even younger age of 16, stepped down. Bhutan is a small area wedged between its much larger India and China neighbors. It remains a natural and idyllic location due to strict limitations on tourism. In fact, it requires all who enter the country to pay $250 per day. That is not the only thing that sets this region apart. Laws mandate that at least 60% of its land must retain covered in forest. In fact, it set the Guinness World Record in 2015 by planting the most trees ever in the span of an hour. Some claim that King Namjel's nation is one of the world's most poor. However, it doesn't measure its wealth as other nations do. Bhutan believes the gross domestic product, or GDP, puts too much emphasis on materialistic forms of wealth. It focuses on a gross national happiness measurement that calculates the level of its residents' well-being instead. Interestingly, when its measurements of subjective happiness among its populations went up from 2010 to 2015, so did its household income. Its national income per capita peaked by 2015 as well. Number 7 is King Abdullah II of Jordan, who controls the Hashemite Kingdom, which spans around 34,492 square miles. In contrast to other countries, Jordan is relatively small and lacks oil as a resource. It's a mostly mountainous, desert-based region, but has a rich history as the site of many ancient kingdoms and civilizations. Its ruler, King Abdullah, served in the British Army before joining the Jordanian Armed Forces. He wasn't expecting to be named as his father's successor, and like few other rulers, has remained humble despite his circumstances. He lives in an apartment rather than any of the eight available palaces and has been known to mingle with his people while in disguise. He has recently earned the distinction of being the world's best paid political figure, making $58 million in annual profits. Number 6 is Sultan Qaboos of Oman, who controls all of Oman, a country off the coast of the Arabian Peninsula, where the Arabian Sea and the Persian Gulf meet. The coastal areas of this land are fertile and rich and support many kinds of crops. However, more inland, much of the area is covered by dry sand and receives little rainfall. Sultan Qaboos gained this kingdom and rose to power after overthrowing his own father, who despite the area's wealth failed to bring the country to prosperity. In his stead, Qaboos has improved the country's infrastructure, modernized its government, and joined forces with the Arab League and United Nations. Sultan Qaboos's net worth is due to the value of gas and oil from his lands and have earned him around $700 million. Number 5 is King Maha Wahila Longkorn of Thailand, who owns all of Thailand or around 128 million acres. This land is in the heart of Southeast Asia and is very different depending on the area. To the north there are hills and forests, in its center are rice fields and plains, and rough coasts line the country to the south along its peninsula. King Mahira Longkorn's father had been the longest living ruler before his death with a reign of over 70 years. That title is now held by Queen Elizabeth II. Upon his father's passing in 2016, the $30 billion legacy he left behind officially became his sons. The Crown Property Bureau controls these and all other assets. 
but acts upon King Wahira Longhorn's direction. Some of the holdings, in addition to his newly acquired funds, include Bangkok Real Estate, the Siam Commercial Bank, and lucrative businesses collectively known as the Siam Cement Group. Number 4 is King Mohammed VI of Morocco, who has 175.6 million acres of land. His kingdom is part of North Africa, situated across from Spain on the other side of the Strait of Gibraltar. It's covered by more streams than anywhere else in the north, due to water collection in both the Rif and Atlas Mountains. Most Moroccan soil is rich as well and provides 33,000 square miles of land for agriculture. In addition to the wealth of his land, King Mohammed VI also owns 35% of the Société Nationale d'Investissement, or SNI company that he inherited from his father before him. SNI has shares in banks, Atijarawafa, mining companies, sugar producers, and dairy firms and boasts a believed value of over $10 million. The profits these investments have given him earned him first place on Forbes' list of the five richest African kings. Number 3 is Pope Francis, who owns 187 million acres. This includes 177 million in embassies around the globe and 110 acres of what comprise Vatican City. However, while he has assumed a position that provides him with power, he often forsakes the luxuries that have traditionally come with it. For example, he made headlines for staying in a two-room apartment instead of the Vatican's apostolic palace. The Vatican's worth is estimated to be between 10 and 15 billion dollars. However, Pope Francis's personal wealth, a lot of which he has earned through his ties to the Vatican, is around 25 to 28 million. These figures are estimates, however. A lot of the property has never been appraised, and information on the Pope's finances is not widely known. Number 2 is King Salman of Saudi Arabia, who succeeded his half-brother Abdullah in 2015 and owns 547 million acres. This is a majority of the Arabian Peninsula and mostly desert. Though impressive to most, these millions add up to just 12% of Queen Elizabeth II's property. However, he has no reason to complain. While many estimate the British royal family's wealth is $88 billion, that is nothing next to the royal family of Saudi Arabia, whose worth is closer to $1.4 trillion. Their fortune comes from the rich oil reserves discovered in their land back when Salam's father, Abdulaziz bin Saad, was king. The sale of natural gas and petroleum are conducted through Al Saud Incorporated. The family business. This company is reported to be worth in excess of $2 trillion, making it one of the most successful of its kind worldwide. Its profits are divided among many thousands of family members, with the most shared between a select 2,000 of them. King Salman himself is worth $17 billion. He spent some of these funds on dozens of apartments and a chateau in France, a palace in Spain, and to create sprawling country retreats, coastal vacation properties, and yet more palaces in his homeland. Number 1 is Queen Elizabeth II, who owns as many as 6.6 .6 billion acres. This covers not only areas in Great Britain, but also Ireland, Canada, Australia, the Falkland Islands, and more. Combined, it amounts to a little over 1 18th of all the world's land. This in turn provides her great wealth. The UK's longest ruling monarch has a net worth of $425 million, which includes the Sandringham House property with a value of $65 million and the Balmoral Castle valued at $140 million. In addition to this, she also generates an income of $54.4 million each year in profits from property owned in the Crown Estate. This estate covers large areas in central London, 263,000 acres of farmland, 
business and retail property, approximately half of the UK shore, and nearly all seabed for miles. But that is not all. There is yet more property known as the Duchy of Lancaster that provide her a further cool $19 million. It's interesting that Queen Elizabeth II owns billions of acres of land, and the second largest landowner has only millions. Yet the English royal family is worth many millions, while the Saudi Arabian family is worth over a trillion. Then you have the King of Lesotho who has thousands of square miles and diamond mines. But the region still struggles to support its people. Guess size doesn't really matter in the end. Found this video interesting? All right. So I hope uh, that video was awesome, right? And the information was awesome. And I want to recap. Number one is the queen. Number two is Saudi Arabia. Number three, Pope Morocco, Obama's Birthland, and let's not forget, he also owns thirty-five uh, percent of Société Générale, which actually owns a lot of the banking institutions in Europe. Then we have Thailand. Oh dear. Then we have Oman, who are in poverty and supposedly, like the son overthrew the dad. Listen to this: Jordan, Bhutan, Lesotho, and Kuwait. How does this? come into play. Well, let's just look at the top person, the crown, who owns one eighteenth of the land mass on the planet. Okay. And this you'll understand as we move forward throughout our shows to understand exactly who they are, who they are. Every time a president spoke, I will destroy this dead. I will do this dead. Everybody assassinated when they speak up. So you have to wonder again, like they said, I mean, Lesotho has all the diamonds in the world and you know, Saudi Arabia has more money and less land, but the queen has more land and less money. How does that work? Incorporations maybe we'll continue this after the break. See you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So the reason I wanted you guys to know the countdown is because now you're going to understand just how big of a war this is. This is one of the most civilized civil wars within our country, but also one of the biggest wars with the richest and, you know, you would think that the United States of America with so much land under it would be considered wealthy because we should be considered uh, a one, you know, one entity because we own it. Right. But that's not the case because as things unfold, things are becoming more evident to the people. Uh, you know, just the names of these countries, you're like, what? Most of these are in poverty. What? Most of these don't have two pennies to rub together. What? Most of these have, you know, jihadis and terrorist groups. What? Most of these you don't even hear about. Obviously, some you do. And why? Because they are rulers. They are single people that own things. And when you're standing on land that is owned by someone, they also own you. 
And so these agreements that have been done in the past decades throughout time, right underneath our nose, were taking power away from us as being owners, as owning land. I mean, property taxes is one of those. I mean, you pay off your house, but then you're paying rent to your city. What's that all about? Right. And then they assess your property and determine how much you're going to pay, you know, and the more harder you work and the better your house is, the more you're pay- It's like you're paying rent for the land you supposedly own. They have been inserting these things into our legislation, into the way we function as a government slowly. So in the end, we have someone like a queen or the queen. And why are they fighting President Trump so hard? Why are they going after him so hard? Well, it's because of this. Today's ceremony, however, has very special meaning. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Those small group of people represent them in order to go where? It goes up to the top, right? Pyramids always have a peak. And then you have to think who owns 118th of the land. Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. That all changes starting right here and right now, because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. And that is exactly it. This is why they hate him. And you know why? Because it's all coming down. Remember a couple weeks ago and last week and the week before how everyone's like, oh, breaking McCabe and Strzok are the first people that are going to get arrested in this. What did I tell you? No, it's not. It's Loretta Lynch. Didn't I say it? I mean, I said it two weeks ago. This tarmac thing, this Debbie Washman Schultz, this George Soros communication, the Awan brothers, we have it all. They killed the investigation into the emails. They killed Seth Rich. It's all coming down. Uh, you know, I said it because I'm a time traveler. And I told you history is very good uh, in regards to me accessing that 
<laughs> that those memories. So I said that and I told you that and now it's coming out. And this is why we're going to talk about Seth Rich more. And all you have to do is look at what they're doing so that way you can see it too. Because you could have foreseen this. Because all the clues were there. All of them were there. New subpoenas going out for Seth Rich. CrowdStrike being on TV talking about the DNC server. Mueller's missing. How many of you know where Loretta Lynch is? Do you know if she's still alive? Is she breathing? Is she locked up? Is she at home? Where is she? Does She didn't write a book. Where is she? Hmm? Where is she? And all you see is them getting louder and louder and louder. And all, all the, the left is doing is trying to make sure that they can rub it in your face when McCabe doesn't go. Let me tell you something. McCabe is busy with other things. I've said this. Don't frown when this came out. Stop. This is nothing. This is peanuts. Just let it go. This all comes together later, kind of like Flynn, right? What did I say? Leave it alone. He's going to tip this on his head. Didn't I say the U.S. attorneys are killing their careers? How many times did I say it over the past two years? Let it be. How many times did I say he's never going to get sentenced? Never. And I've said that consistently because one thing I'm good at is history, Take that to the bank on that. I'm very good with history and facts. And here is where it's coming out. Um, Fox Today reported on the Clinton Lynch clandestine tarmac meeting. Also told you that on those planes, we've talked about this. There's a lot of audio and video recordings. And... I've also said that there's a bunch of good guys that had a lot of stuff. See, if you can spy on us, we can spy on you. And you might think you owned every single person within the intelligence community, but you did not own every single good contractor or outside peripheral digital soldier did you and this is where it comes down to take a listen to this It was the tarmac meeting that rocked 2016, a seemingly secret rendezvous between Bill Clinton and then Attorney General Loretta Lynch. If you thought that story was laid to rest, well, think again. Well, a brand new book from the journalist who broke this story is revealing explosive new information about the encounter. Here now is author of Secret on the Tarmac, Christopher Sine. Chris, good morning to you. Oh, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. All right. So from the get-go... This just didn't add up, did it? Not at all. When I broke this story, we knew that something had occurred here that was a bit unusual. It was a planned meeting. It was not a coincidence. It was planned. It happened. And this details everything that they don't want you to know and everything they think you forgot. But Bill Clinton was on that plane for 20 minutes. And it wasn't just about golf, grandkids, Brexit. There's so much that doesn't add up. And even as time has passed, there's so much, I think, that even Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton have forgotten. How do you know it was planned and not just a happenstance. Hey, look, our planes are next to each other. I have a source that walks me through it from point A to point B to point Z. Mm. And my source saw it all unfold and says when Bill Clinton arrived at the airport, he waited. He knew Loretta Lynch was taxiing. The plane was moving. He then sat and waited in his car with the motorcade 
Her air stairs come down. Most of her staff gets off. He then gets on as the Secret Service and FBI are figuring out how in the world are we supposed to handle this? What are we going to do? You know, this story isn't about right or left, Republican, Democrat. It's about right and wrong in journalism. And that was my focus of this. Mm -hmm. It's about real journalism getting to the facts. Well, why do you think this didn't get more attention then? I mean, you look at the way that... I mean, are they really going to give a hit job order attention? Because you have to understand this was done, this meeting was done just um, less than a fortnight, so less than 15 days before Seth Rich was murdered. I'm just pointing out some very important details. Um, This is very important. Because this reporter was tipped off. Why? Because you see us, we see you. You have access, we have access. That's the way it goes. You know, they can have all the power in the world. They can have the titles. They can have the cubicles. They can have the offices. They could be in Arlington right now. But there are people even on another planet and on a side timeline that are watching exactly what you are doing. And when you turn it off, we turn it on. That's how it goes. The yin and the yang. There's always a good, always a bad, right? Here is where we're at. We already know what the meeting was about. We already have it. But, you know, you can't expose who has it because then that's saying there's a deep state, deep watching the deep state. And that makes everybody uncomfortable. But sometimes it's important to just kind of be that fly on the wall. And sometimes it's better that we just leave it be. So this reporter that accidentally was tipped off, but nobody else was maybe was told what was going to happen. I mean, again, he was in the car waiting. He knew what was happening. Everybody got off. He got on. But all the machinery there has microphones. There's videos. There's everything. You know, who spread their legs. How you sat and crossed your leg over, Bill. Every single detail. How she told you, you know, this is going to come out. When it comes out, I don't even know in those closed doors if they've confronted them with the actual footage and audio, but take a listen. Attorney General Bill Barr is being treated now. You look at the way that the Trump administration has been treated. You think that this would be worthy of more attention than it received and also more scrutiny. Why didn't it get that? You and I are on the same page on this. As journalists, you have to ask yourself, why are people not delving into this? Why are we not looking into what exactly happened? Loretta Lynch in December of 18, she went before uh, House Judiciary Committee, uh, House Oversight Committee, excuse me, and testified. And in there, she mentioned that Bill Clinton flattered her, talked about Eric Holder, talked about how things were going at justice, talked about her job performance, not this golf grandkids Brexit. Well, and you've paid the price for this career wise. What kind of you know, what kind of threats or what have you received? Well, my family received significant death threats uh, shortly after breaking this story. Uh, Credit cards hacked. Um, You know, my children, we have code words. We have secret code words that they know what to do. Um, And that's why I came back to WBMA, ABC 3340 in Birmingham, Mm -hmm. because when I was enduring the death threats, it was my former Alabama football family and my teammates, my coaches who circled around me. Wow, my. Read all about it. Uh, You can get the book right now, Secret on the Tarmac. It's at Christopher Sign, S-I-G-N dot com. And on Amazon as well. All right. Thank you for joining. So they destroyed this man who got the tip.
They destroyed him. Credit cards hacked. You mean they altered your credit profile. They inserted information. They manufactured information. They tried to get you. But the good thing is, is that good people always emerge from muddy war, from slander, from garbage, from whatever they try to do. And the thing is, you know, he had a short lived, you know, life in that spotlight. So he was very lucky. And so this is coming to surface, like I said it would. And no one is asking, mm, where is she? I mean, you've never seen someone disappear like that, have you? That's a question you should ask yourself. Where is Loretta Lynch? She's missing. She's missing. And in the in in our next hour, you know, we're going to analyze the 60 minute show. We are going to take it from the beginning and we're going to dissect it. So you can see what I was saying on my subscribe star episode. This is how the corrupt intelligence community works. This is actual clandestine operations. And you don't seem to understand it. In clandestine, we say secret spy this. Well, if they're doing it in your face and there's an ulterior motor, that's kind of clandestine in itself. No. So you have to know how they operate so you can see how they get it done. And that is what we're going to analyze. Also, we're going to mention a name that was praised by Mueller. Praised. He was like, hallelujah, this guy who's involved in CrowdStrike. And you suddenly see, wait a minute, man. This is like the high school group that clicks together. So when President Trump says they stick together, he's not joking. They really stick together. A hundred percent. And sometimes it's hard to discern who is what and what is where. So (laughs) it's all coming down. We're seeing it come down. So I think it's important. I play the short clip now. It's one minute. I want you to listen to this voice. I want you to listen to what they say and think this is a this is you taking a step back into time 11 years ago. Listen. Ever been any cases where the FBI has investigated attacks against critical infrastructure? Yes. Eight years ago, people flew planes into buildings. They're interested in having that same type of impact on this country, and they'll do it whatever way possible. And if they can do it through a cyber attack and have an impact on this country's economy, on this country's psyche, on the confidence of these uh, of the American people, they'll do that. And we are aware of that, and we're working cooperatively with others in the U.S. government to defend against that and to mitigate those threats. Can you tell me about any of these attacks against critical infrastructure? No. Were any of them successful? I can tell you about the threat, Steve. I can tell you about the threat and what we're aware of, and I can't really go into any more detail on any uh, ongoing operations or past operations. Well, there are groups of people that are associated with the jihadi cause. They're sympathetic to that doctrine and those disciplines, and they are interested in impacting this country, and they will do it by any means possible, and they are aware of vulnerabilities in critical infrastructure. They are actively seeking to develop the capabilities or to obtain the capabilities to impact us through uh, cyber intrusions. 
Now that was from 11 years ago. So this is like online jihad, right? We don't want jihadis to have access to things. So this was the mark in 2009 under the Obama administration where critical infrastructure, private companies, Silicon Valley, um, you know, just any company was kind of coerced and, and forced to provide access, unequivocal access to the U.S. government, to have access because they want to protect them, right? They want to make sure that, uh, you know, they don't get attacked. Or how did he say it? We, let's go back to that. Let's listen to what they do again. Let's take a listen. Attacks against critical infrastructure. Yes. Eight years ago, people flew planes into buildings. They're interested in having that same type of impact on this country, and they'll do it whatever way possible. And if they can do it through a cyber attack and have an impact on this country's economy, on this country's psyche. On this country's economy, on this country's psyche. Oh, you mean like changing the views of the people because it's very um, easily formed. See, this is what Barack Hussein Obama did. He provided, he was provided access. He gave access, forced, gave, volunteered, voluntold these companies to provide access to this vague FBI arm. Vague, because it's Pentagon, it's, you know, intelligence, it's CIA, it's FBI, it's you name it, and it's mother. It's like a, a mosh, mishmash of everything. So you can't tell where it begins and where it ends. It's like the plague. And here they look at epidemiology. They look at um, different types of technologies. They look at how they can manipulate the nation's psyche, your soul, how they can manipulate your thought, how they can manipulate facts. Because forever and today, your point of view, your thoughts, what was inside of you, what you felt, uh, what you um, believed, how you perceived things was based on what facts were given to you and what was true and what was not. What they have successfully done in the past administration was blur those lines almost at an, at, a ver at an exponential rate for sure. Because suddenly what's right may be wrong, but what's wrong may be right. What you knew to be true, what you knew as an axiom no longer exists. Now this has been done in small installments, but it was rapidly done because it's a race. And the queen knows this. And 2021 is that date. We hear Putin talking about it all the time. Masked in the start agreement. But it's 500 days from yesterday. And June 30th, 2021. Like, what's that? Very important. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. And that's the thing. They have to manipulate your thought because otherwise you cannot be controlled. And your psyche, your thought, your ability to discern fact from fiction has been polluted 
with a bombardment of media. Either that be in the shape of news, uh, music, uh, movies, right? Bombardment. That is one of the biggest psyops that have happened against the people in modern history. I mean, it's been done before. But at that time, there were monarchs. So speaking against the king or the queen would have you beheaded. So you kind of kept your mouth shut. Speaking against, you know, weaponizing religion would also have you beheaded by the queen, king, or leader based on the Pope's recommendation, who, by the way, as you remember, is the third richest, right? So this is how everything evolves. When you want to expose them, you let them expose themselves, right? They pull their own pants down, and we're seeing it happen. And no matter how many times you can tell a deranged leftist that is undergoing severe mental instability uh, and struggling with the idea that, you know, I think that they're more upset that President Trump makes sense than the fact that he does make sense in, in, in essence. And I know that sounds like what? Well, imagine if everything you've been told is going against your gut. You're suddenly psychotic. You have no idea if you're going or coming. You're just crying and you're just like, ah, and screaming, right? This is why they're screaming because they're struggling. They're struggling with their manufactured reality and actual reality. You know, there was a a video I saw where this woman was like, I'm going to stay here and protest. And she was crying. She was in tears. She was struggling saying, people can't be like this. It's so evil. It's so this, you know, she didn't want that because she was struggling inside. She was struggling with, oh my gosh, these are facts. The economy is better, but no, it's not because of him. It's because of Obama. And now Obama retweets a picture. Look what I did. You did nothing but sell your country out to the crowns that will be crumbling very soon. They have already taken a hit with their European Union fiasco and that is how it's going to go. We have people suffering like no matter how much we enjoy and partaking in these liberal, you know, tears, you know, which, you know, I saw a meme saying the NASCAR, you know, was going to be rained on by liberal tears. Um, it, they're really struggling. It's painful for them. Imagine right now, you know, that your reality was shattered. These people have been brainwashed and attacked again by cyber attacks. No, by attacks on their psyche, on their thought process. And this is why I say it again. Prayer is the ultimate weapon. We have to pray for these people too to be able to see the truth, see the light and wake up. Now, after this break, we're going to delve into CrowdStrike and Seth Rich. And I hope that in this half hour, you understand what I've been saying. Loretta Lynch, Debbie Washerman, Seth Rich, HFIG, High Value Interrogation Group. Those are the things that are substantial. Those are the things that are going to shatter liberal realities. Because we could say McCabe did this. He's such a bad. No, but he probably did it because he's patriotic. But how do you explain murder? Murder is murder. Death is death. There's no coming back from death. There's no, well, I killed him because wait till the Bernie bros, the really insane ones, understand that this guy tried to help Bernie Sanders, but they took him out. Mm. This is how you win by taking tangible things 
that can't be obfuscated. You can't say he was kind of murdered, not really. Right? This is how you break it down. And it all starts on a tarmac. I'll see you guys right after this short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this is the second hour where we're going to break down CrowdStrike. We're going to break down uh, Seth Rich. And we're going to break down this, what the what NBC or the DNC uh, mouthpiece has to say. And um, before we get into that, I just want to let you guys know, I am, you know that I've been working on the DNC and their finances. Remember how I was talking about Amalgamated Bank, right, last year, uh, early last year, and how I was telling you that they are the bank of the DNC. Well, it seems that my theory is very plausible that Bloomberg is not running for president, but he's merely covering the debt that the DNC, Hillary Clinton, and other activities they have with Amalgamated Bank because they are actively under some form of investigation according to my sources. So I wanted to tell you that because it totally makes sense. Like Bloomberg doesn't have a leg to stand on. This guy's, you know, pushing elder side. <laughs> um, and I don't know if any of you heard this, but, you know, he actually said it out loud. Now, I know he uses the example of 95 years old and nobody that's 95 is going to want to go through treatment. They'll be like, I'm ready to die. I'm good. Um but I talked about this when Oregon actually passed a law to starve mentally ill patients to death. Infanticide, nothing. Compared to death panels, like Sarah Palin had said, uh, you know, they are going to be deciding who lives and who dies. And even though they're saying, oh, it's dependent on the disease. Remember that little kid in the United Kingdom that the National Health Service did not want to pay for treatments? So our president says they're sick, let them try, whereas the Democrats are telling you they're sick, let them die. I mean, Bloomberg wants to control what peer, poor, poor people can eat, drink, and do because he knows best for them. So if you think that your disease is going to, uh, let's see, depict uh, your lifespan, you're wrong. It's your class because it'll then come down to, well, this kid has cancer and the likelihood of cancer coming back is tenfold and that's going to strain the government's resources. So let the kid die. This child was born with their intestines on the outside. Uh, you know, why help the infant? Let it die because it's going to have complications later that's going to cost us money. Then you're going to have two 25-year-olds that are going to need some heart. You know it's going to go to the rich one. And th they're going to decide who lives and who dies. I mean, you know, that's reality. This is what happens when people have power. Listen to him say it. If you're bleeding, they'll stop the bleeding. If you need an x-ray, you're going to have to wait. That's just 
and all of these costs keep going up. Nobody wants to pay any more money. And at the rate we're going, healthcare is going to bankrupt us. So not only do we have a problem, it's going to bankrupt us. And we've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. Nobody wants to do that. You know, if you show up with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old, you should say, go and enjoy, have a nice day, lead a long life. There's no cure. And you can't do it. If you're a young person, we should do something about it. Society's not willing to do that yet. You mean society's not ready to dismiss the value of life, right? Not dismiss the value of life. Also, not dismiss how important it is and how you're not dumb to be a farmer. And we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank and the direction of the arrow. And So all of you are just peasants that should be working for them. He's telling you what they believe. And they can't shut him up because he's got money to throw at it and they need his money. God knows they need his money. So when you're looking at the Democrats and stay put for this one, you're going to see just how fast the DNC is going to implode because investigations are ongoing. And like I said, 17 states, 17 different prosecutors, you think it would just sit on one or two? It's nationwide. And these sealed indictments are itching to pop. Now, before we analyze our 60 Minutes clip, I want you to listen to NBC. NBC, four months ago, already laying it down for you. Take a listen to what they have to say about CrowdStrike. There's a lot baked into that July 25th phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky that's now at the center of a whistleblower complaint and, of course, an impeachment inquiry. But if you look at the call summary released by the White House, there's one point that's especially peculiar and kind of seems out of left field. It's when the president mentions something called crowd strike. He says, I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say Ukraine has it. Okay, so what is he talking about? From this, it's not exactly clear what the president wants Ukraine to do, but it does start to make some sense after a little bit more context. CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company that does digital forensics, and they've actually been in the news before. Welcome to day one of the Democratic National Convention. There was chaos on the floor below us this afternoon. Thousands of hacked emails leaked to WikiLeaks rocked the Democratic National Committee. Yeah, so the DNC asked CrowdStrike to investigate, and the company ultimately found that Russian groups hacked the network and stole emails, which they then published to WikiLeaks, and U.S. intelligence officials confirmed that. And those findings actually became part of Robert Mueller's indictment of a dozen Russian intelligence officials. But of course, the world of conspiracy theories tells a different tale. Basically, since 2016, right-wing blogs, news websites, and none other than Roger Stone have tried to spread the idea that Democrats and CrowdStrike framed Russia in order to discredit Trump's victory. They 
claim that evidence of this has been hidden on a DNC server somewhere in Ukraine, possibly by CrowdStrike founder Dmitry Alpertovich, whom they often refer to as a Ukrainian billionaire. Remember Trump mentions a wealthy Ukrainian in that phone call? Here's the thing though, Dmitry was actually born in Moscow, not Ukraine, and he's an American citizen. His company is based in Sunnyvale, California. And when it comes to the server, first of all, there isn't one single server that holds the key to all of this. The DNC said they decommissioned 140 servers and rebuilt 11 in the wake of the hack. One of them is actually on display at the DNC office. Here it is in a New York Times photo right next to a filing cabinet that was broken into during the Watergate scandal. CrowdStrike and U.S. intelligence officials both examined all that tech and shared the same findings, that Russians hacked the DNC. Hey, how many of you are vomiting right now? Wait, let her finish, and then we'll talk about this. And even Trump's own former Homeland Security advisor has said there's no basis to this theory. It is not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. But the president has been fixated on this for years now. Where is the server? I want to know where is the server and what is the server saying? So, to summarize, CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company that helped uncover Russian meddling when investigating the DNC hack during the 2016 election. So first of all, the DNC was in hack. CrowdStrike did not have a contract with the federal government. And CrowdStrike does have a headquarters in Ukraine. The guy is Ukrainian and American. And the FBI has their own person on the state side. And we're going to talk about that name because not a lot of people talk about this guy. Not only that, not only that, they will tell you the truth amongst their lies. And this will go back to an article I had written with Big League Politics over two and a half years ago about something called Hurricane Electric. They're not very creative when they're making up project names, are they? And we'll talk about that. A far-right conspiracy theory alleges that the company framed Russia in order to discredit Trump's presidency. And the uh, yeah, because they did. And so it's a far right conspiracy theory, just like the one about Avenatti, who, by the way, is in jail now, uh, just like Epstein was a far right conspiracy theory, just like you being fake news is a conspiracy theory. But, you know, she said a lot of truths that you didn't know. Well, I'm not going to say you didn't pick up on because I know that a lot of my listeners are pretty clued up. But there are a few things in there. Cross, fire, hurricane, hurricane electric is the key. Theory hinges on the belief that this information is sitting on a missing DNC server that made its way to Ukraine. Actually, yes, it did. So and this is what we're going to talk about while we're listening to the charade on 60 Minutes Again, for some reason, they love putting CrowdStrike. And that is what Trump seems to reference when he asks the Ukrainian president for a favor on that now infamous July phone call. And that wasn't on the July phone call, but okay. Now, here's where we're going to delve into 60 Minutes. So those of you that missed it, you're going to hear it now. It is going to make your skin crawl. It is going to make you vomit in your mouth just like she did. But here's where we're going to break it down with facts. So that way you get it step by step. Because you know what? These idiots are so dumb. 
they walk you through it. But before I do that, let me tell you what Hurricane Electric is. Do you remember back in the day when all of us had those um, uh, torrent files? You remember how, oh, I don't want to pay for that new album. So I'll just open up my torrent file client server and seed files. And you know how that worked, right? So it's like I wanted, you know, um, Phil Collins album and I didn't want to pay for it. So I would search for it and find it. And then if you and, and then you click download. But when you expanded it, what would you see? You would see a bunch of different downloads. One would be a kilobyte here. Another one would be three megabytes there. And it was like you were getting parts of the song, right, from different areas. It was coming from Japan, from Germany, just little bits all coming together to give you that one album, right? And the more people had that file, the faster you would download, right? So if I was looking for, I don't know, like Britney Spears, you know, album, which is a true story, uh, you know, that one was everywhere, uh, you know, on my torrent client. So basically what would I do? I would have that, I would have the whole album downloaded in just a few minutes, even though it was dial up 56 K because there were so many people around the world logged on at the same time with bits and bits and bits of that album. So my computer would automatically have like 25 different sources or 25,000 different sources pulling the little bits. Hurricane Electric is just that, but for the government and big companies. It is global. It is one of the biggest torrent server files. So you have your hardcore server that's sitting there with all the data, but then you also have it blasted into millions of bits around the world. Germany, Canada, America, Japan, China, Russia, Korea, North Korea, South Korea, Bhutan, you know, North Africa, South Africa, the African horn, you name it. It's there. One little piece of file that on its own makes absolutely no sense because that little kilobyte could have a fragment of a document, a fragment of an audio file, a fragment of a picture, a fragment of an email that without its counterpart makes absolutely no sense. So how do you track down a server that's blasted into millions? You find a map. And by map means a roadmap to where all of those are, like a client, uh, like, you know, the clients like mTorrent that we used to use, Shazam was one of them before it changed Napster, right? All of those. So you need a client that can pull the roadmap. Crossfire Hurricane, Hurricane Electric, not very creative on destroying those emails now, are we? So here's the thing. While this was going on, there were a lot of people that were tuned to what was on there. And it wasn't the emails. The emails were just giving something to the people. Distractions. It's all an illusion. Distraction. It's all an illusion. Because the full truth was just way too much. Now, the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian server, well, here's the thing. You're going to hear how CrowdStrike now says that they provided copies of the server, which the FBI denies ever having, of the DNC. Copies, right? Images. Selective. But here's the thing, for them to be able to create and manufacture Cozy Bear, for them to be able to manufacture and create code, they had to extract the whole server. And they did this using a client. 
you're not just going to sit there and seed off an image. A certain, that takes days remotely. Now, with uh, an, uh, the ability of having a, a massive SD drive where you can take a copied image of the whole server that can take hours or multiple sessions, depending if you can pick up and if you have the software, right? So here's where it comes into it. So now we've caught them lying. I want you to listen to the introduction that if I was Giuliani, I would be all over this smacking them with lawsuits just from the opening statement. Take a listen. His lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is pursuing allegations of corruption in Ukraine. This past week, Attorney General William Barr said the Justice Department would carefully scrutinize what Giuliani finds. Last July, President Trump made the phone call to Ukraine that led to impeachment. He asked the president. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's mysterious Democratic National Committee computer server that Mr. Trump said was hidden in Ukraine. We have found that odd request is a story that has grown over the years and was influenced by Moscow. You may have wondered how the president was impeached over Ukraine of all places. The answer is in the story of the mystery server, a reminder that the U.S. and Russia have been on opposite sides of a war in Ukraine since Russia's invasion in 2014. And Gavin Newsom is the one that can tell us about that using his California army to help commit genocide. That's another topic. That's something I don't want to delve into. But Moscow had nothing to do with this. And just like I explained... This server is still alive across the planet. The thing is, the algorithm to, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. The algorithm, uh, okay, how am I going to say this? So the code algorithm that you need in order to find all these bits of file across the planet still exists, and that is on the original image server. Now, I've said this before in a huddle in early spring, very early, well, before spring of 2016, there were files that were put out and everyone downloaded a file onto an SD card and mailed it off to the Department of Justice. And when you, uh, and, and to be honest with you, when the downloads happen, like, can you download this? Like, you know how your friend says, yo, take a screenshot for me, will you? Or, hey, can you download this file for me? And this is a friend you know for 20 years and you're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Especially when it's a friend that's helping parse together things like um, stuff on Epstein and what he's been doing in Ethiopia with AI, which is something that we need to talk about. Or if it's a friend that has helped, you know, provide documents years ago after a trip to Panama, right? So you know these people, even though you don't know who they really are. So they say, all right, can you like take, um, can you, can all of you in the group just take like a pack of this file because it's really big and put it on those massive SD cards? And it's like, yeah, sure. I'll copy it for you just in case it goes. Yep. Got it. Got it. Everybody's got it. How many are the everybody's? Nobody really knows. It could be hundreds of people. It could just be the baker's dozen in our little room. Nobody knows. But what I do know is, is that later on, after 
the the murder of Seth Ridge after the tar actually it was after the tarmac meeting before the murder um, that it was understood what was possibly on that SD drive. I guarded that with my life and I was thinking, all right, um, so the next best thing is since nobody reconvened after the murder to know what to do is what? Well, I'm just going to hand it over to law enforcement because I don't want to get in trouble. And that could be the reason why my Mac fried too. Who knows? Maybe it was trickled back, but there was nothing on it. So that had to go into the scrap. And my friends know how I struggled in, in 2017 with my Mac. I was like, this is a biz. What's going on? Uh, so, um, and you know, they're not that prone to uh, specific viruses and worms. So that was, you know, shocking to me. But anyway, so people had an image copy of the actual server that was done on location, not only of the DNC, but the RNC too. Way before WikiLeaks, way before, because before you do anything and send it off to anyone, what do you do? You've got insurance, you've got trip keys, you got, you know, safe deposit boxes, you've got people that you trust will have your back no matter what. And you trust will make the right decision when there's no communication, Right. And this is why they're in such panic. Because again, the tangible way to take them down, to expose this globalist cabal, is with tangible crimes. With crimes, you can't sweep over with a gray sponge and say, well, it was kind of murder, but we had to do it. It's like, wait a minute, I know that was murder. And when you know that the murder was done to fix your own elections, and then everything that the right has been saying, which is they've been fixing the elections for decades now, you've never voted, even though we've had change in parties, we've never had a voice. They've fixed everything. That you can't cover up that you can't change that you cannot stop and here we are again wow this crowd strike getting around always talking about it planting those seeds for the idiots that have not woken up yet for those people struggling with it and I, and I hate the fact that I call them idiots God forgive me because they're just weaker I should stop saying that because we should be praying for these people because they are really struggling with reality they are really struggling with making it through the day they are so now take a, a few more minutes listen to oh yeah and it's supposedly in the Ukraine it is because that is where you sourced it in order to copy, image, and parse it. Why in the Ukraine? Because there is no law and no U.S. eyes. And if the Ukraine who was sharing Hurricane Electric servers was seeding those at a slower rate, even the NSA wouldn't detect it. Oh, well, not all of it. So they wouldn't detect them collecting all the bits of pieces on hurricane electric servers that are global to compose an image of the DNC, the original DNC server. And remember, Eric Braverman had gone out there. Google had invested in CrowdStrike. Remember, $100 million. 
All of that was going on. Head of Clinton Foundation, Google invested in CrowdStrike, all these crazy meetings, and a server being ceded to a foreign country in order to be processed, parsed, fixed, and re-imaged to supposedly provide to the FBI, which they have said they never received. That's the thing. Ukraine security is important to our security. And the reason I believe that is that Ukraine is on the front line. Few people understand what's at stake as well as Ambassador Bill Taylor. He led the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine as the Trump administration withheld military aid while pressing for investigations of Democrats. It was illogical. It could not be explained. It was crazy. Taylor's testimony carried the weight of his resume. West Point, 101st Airborne in Vietnam, 33 years as a diplomat and an expert on Ukraine. The Russians are fighting a hybrid war against Ukraine, but it's not just about Ukraine. Uh, They're fighting a hybrid war against Europe and against the United States. The war that the Russians are fighting in Ukraine, we have a stake in? We have a stake in. But it's not just the military war. So we have a stake in a war that the Russians are fighting in Ukraine. Why? What's the stake? Your pockets, policy, the EU supporting the crown. Which one is it? Bill Taylor should be ashamed of himself. But, you know, they're parading these people around. They're pushing it. Boy, does this get good. Like next half hour, we're just going to be parsing this apart. How do you how do you feel listening to Bill Taylor saying these things? Why are we so concerned about it? We don't care what the Ukraine does. As long as they're happy and prosperous, if there's genocide, we want to know. And that's it. I don't know why we're giving away free money. It's kind of like that Nixon call. You know, Nixon figured out he was duped in 1974 and said he was going to shut it down. What happened? You see that? So here we are just at the top of the break, and I am going to fly right through it so you guys can listen to this because you really need to understand the gravity of the situation. Like, it is massive. Because hybrid war is more than tanks and soldiers. Hybrid war is information war. It's cyber war. Um, It's economic war. Um, It's attacks on elections. And as we know, they've attacked our elections. Wait a minute. They've attacked our elections. But remember, it was Barack Hussein Obama and Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff, that put together a bill, obviously, uh, in consultancy with, um, you know, Igor Pasternak, who makes blimps and obviously M16s that failed. But, you know, they still got our money. Um, that put a bill together that we give them $50 million so we can go in there and marshal their elections. But Russia was meddling with our elections. Okay, sure. The Russian attack on the 2016 election included hacking the computers of the Democratic National Committee. Actually, Podesta was stupid and Hillary Clinton's emails were just released to make it look plausible. But what they keep forgetting to say is that the RNC server was also imaged. U.S. intelligence agencies found the Russian government aspired to help President-elect Trump's election chances when possible by discrediting Secretary Clinton. What are these intelligence agencies again? Oh, yeah, the CIA, that's it. 
FBI doesn't really count. NSA just collects information. And that's a bogus statement because there was no communication between all the agencies because there's a committee that gets formed. And if you see in the reports, no footnote from them, that means it's bogus. 17 intelligence communities, not ours. Obviously, probably not even American. Former Deputy National Intelligence Officer and CIA Russia analyst Andrea Kendall Taylor worked on that report. The rep- Another Taylor, and she's typing with one finger. The report itself was based on a large body of evidence um, that demonstrated not only what Russia was doing, but also its intent. Um, and it's based on a number of different uh, sources, collected human intelligence, technical intelligence. You seem to be saying that the evidence is convincing, that this isn't a close call. That's absolutely right. If you read the intelligence report, it's the consensus view of three intelligence agencies. Oh, wait a minute. But they said 17. Is it CIA, NSA and the FBI? But the CIA is the only one that I can actually do reports. The NSA never gives reports and the FBI is law enforcement. But remember, I've told you about this black hole FBI thing. And if you have subscribed to Subscribestar, you'll know more about that black hole in the FBI. I. I'd like to highlight from the same conclusion was reached by the Republican-led Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. The committee's report on Russian interference was unanimously approved by all of its Democratic and Republican members. Russia's use of social media. Democrat Mark Warner is vice chairman. The Russian project was a top-down, government-run, covert operation that hacked into the DNC and individuals' personal emails and weaponized that information to release it at the most important times. Okay, before I continue this, I just wanted to say the emails were nothing. It was child's play. You know what was important? The algorithms, the programs that they deploy to fix elections globally. You know what else is important? Emails between U.S. state officials, both elected, non-elected, with other global leaders and memorandums of understandings in place with other governments. You know what else is on there and what is on there and what has been seen is the fact that we have a private global intelligence community, private companies in, you know, the hands of the few elites. You know what else is on there? Letters and emails, emails that you haven't seen that aren't about yoga and aren't just Hillary Clinton's. Wait till SCOTUSgate. Wait till SCOTUSgate because that's where it's going to happen. But you know what? They're talking about emails. That's nothing. You want to see the documents that you have signed with other governments. You want to see trade agreements. You want to see vaccine patents and funding. You want to see funding for certain operations. You want to see DARPA discussions with other governments. You want to see slave trade, human trade, child trade, drug trade. It's all there. That's the thing. But the idea that the Trump campaign was helped by Russia, even unwittingly, was a unanimous judgment Mr. Trump would not accept. And by the way, folks, just in case you're like curious, no, Russia did not help me. Okay. Russia. I call it the Russian hoax. Mr. Trump began a campaign to discredit the intelligence community's conclusions. 
He tweeted, So how and why are they so sure about hacking if they never even requested an examination of the computer servers? In Mr. Trump's telling, the FBI failed to look for evidence on the Democrats' computer network. The story of the mystery server was born. You dealt directly with the FBI? I did, yeah, sure. Robert Johnston was an investigator of the DNC hack for CrowdStrike, a leading cybersecurity company hired by the Democrats. He told us the FBI didn't physically examine the DNC servers because CrowdStrike gave the Bureau copies of the data from the servers. Wait a minute. So the FBI didn't physically check it because they gave them data from the servers. Listen to that. If there is a a server or a computer system of any kind that's involved in the incident, you can take an exact bit-for-bit digital copy of what's on that system. Now, that digital copy is just as good as having the real thing. As far as you know, the FBI got... And here's the thing. Let's do it this way. So you have a digital copy of the DNC server... And then you take it and you make another digital copy, but bit for bit, you remove the stuff you want, right? And bit for bit, you add the code that makes it look like someone got in there, right? Bit for bit. What it needed and what it wanted. Exactly. And and evidence of that is you don't hear the FBI complaining. Of course, you're not going to hear the FBI complaining. Do you know why? Because of a guy named Sean Henry. He's actually the president of CrowdStrike Services and chief service officer, uh, CSO. That always changes, right? Henry's legendary commitment to one team, one fight. Yep, they're all united and they stick together. Do you know why he's very important? Well, I'm going to take you back in time to September 15th, 2010. Sean Henry, named executive assistant director of the Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch. Guess who nominated him? That's right. Director Robert Mueller III has named Sean Henry as the executive assistant director of Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch. Mr. Henry will succeed Assistant Deputy Director Harrington. Mr. Henry most recently served as assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington Field Office. You mean the swamp. I'm confident that under Sean's leadership, we'll continue to sharpen its strategic focus and coordinated efforts with state, local, and international partners to address new, emerging international and domestic and cyber threats to our national security. And since February 2010, Mr. Henry has served assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. So where he began his career with the FBI in 1989, investigating a variety of matters, focusing primarily on public corruption and serving as a member of the SWAT team. Can you guys say fixer? And you remember that clip I played about online jihad? That was none other than Sean Henry. And Henry is now the guy in charge at CrowdStrike. And he oversaw at his time at the FBI of computer crime investigations spanning the globe. And he also received, listen to this, presidential rank award for meritorious executive for his leadership in enhancing the FBI's cyber capabilities. (laughs) So he was the EAD for FBI's Criminal Cyber Response Services Branch. And now 
He is the president of the U.S.-based CrowdStrike. Okay? This is key. Because, again, why would CrowdStrike, who had no federal contract with the FBI for cyber forensics, why would Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, the DNC, and for a matter of fact, it was actually their lawyer, Bauer, who got in touch with him to do this for them. Backdoor work. Why? Oh, because he's one of the crew, guys. He's one of them. Come on. Do you see it? See, nobody talks about this guy. He's never on TV anymore. Yet he is in charge of the actual president of CrowdStrike Services in the United States of America. Okay? And he's the CSO. So nobody talks about Sean Henry. He's not even mentioned anywhere. Why? I mean, we putting the Ukrainian in the front, what? Because you think we're going to assume that anybody talking about Dimitri is suddenly what? Suddenly what? Racist? We're just going to stick Kurtz in the front? Another hack? Come on. This is where it comes down to, you guys. These people have fixed it from the beginning. All you need to look is who runs the show and who drops the moolah for them. That's how it is. You know... Sean Henry, okay, he is one of the biggest players when it comes to this. Because he is the connect between Mueller, between the DNC, between Barack Hussein Obama, and why the FBI just decided, well, you know, since our friend is now, you know, uh, you know, at CrowdStrike, we'll just use him. No, that's not the way it works. Because their forensic don't count for anything unless it's done by the book. And so here we have them telling you again, another dude, not Sean, telling you, well, we just gave him the data that comes from the server. What do you mean? Bit for bit, bit for bit that you select. Because I can image you a server right now and I can click and say, nope, 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 nope. And then render that into one smooth image, you know, ISO done. So you can mount that and you're good. He's right. A former senior government official familiar with the investigation told us that the FBI would have preferred to work alongside CrowdStrike's investigators, but the Democratic National Committee decided to give the Bureau digital copies of its servers instead. The official told us this was acceptable, in fact, even typical in FBI investigations. The FBI used the data to help indict 12 Russian intelligence agents for hacking the DNC. Yeah, so Mueller indicted the Mueller from his prize star that gave him that information, right? Victor, Boris. And you know what? He took that indictment and put it in a division that's there to die because they can never enforce it. See, that's a key point, too. So what's the point of... Oh, look, indictment, we found Russians, not a baker's dozen, isn't it? Or is it just under a dozen? Kind of funny how the group is a baker's dozen and they get a baker's dozen, but for some reason people are reporting a dozen. And here's the thing, all made up stuff, non-existent. Do these people even exist? Mm -mm. 
No. And you know what? With technology today, you can create people, delete people, manufacture people in a heartbeat. I mean, in the future, it gets messy. But in the future that was to come, I can tell you that private corporations ran everything. And unless you were part of their bloodline, part of their group, you were nothing but a worker and you expired when you expired, period. Now here we have manufactured people to serve the purpose of hurting you into that. Hmm. CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike gave information that a prosecutor took and ran with without double checking. Like, okay, in what reality does that sound merely anywhere okay? Doesn't sound okay, does it? And see. But Mr. Trump's tweets persisted. Why did the DNC refuse to turn over its server to the FBI? And where are hidden and smashed DNC servers? There were more than 140 servers in the Democrats' network, but Mr. Trump created an image of a single box of incriminating information. Because there is a single box of incriminating information. A box that was taken offshore, that was imaged offshore to manufacture, replicate, cause backdoor fake breaches with Chinese code where they tacked on Russian code to make it Russian frame something called Cozy Bear, put it in a nice little box, and then once they exported that, rendered it, they made it into one whole server that looked really real. But you know, it was uh, cyber within the FBI itself who actually said, well, you know, they kind of bottlenecked it. It didn't look like Russian code. It looked like Chinese. Where is that guy? Why did C-SPAN take down that video? And gosh darn it, really wish I had downloaded it. We already know this, CBS, NBC, CNN, they're all doing damage control. This is entertainment. This isn't even real. This is super wag the dog. You hear his tone. Well, why do they have to? I mean, they got it from them. Yeah. Bottom line is, did they have a federal contract? No. Were they authorized by the federal government to be the preferred in cyber forensic? No. And why wouldn't a prosecutor check it himself just in case there was some bias because it's a private company no so we're the ones that are nuts but they're all okay you see it where is the server i want to know where is the server and what is the server saying with that being said all i can do is ask the question my people came to me dan Coates came to me and some others they said they think it's russia uh i have uh, president putin uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. That statement, letting Russia off the hook, forced President Trump to issue a retraction the next day. No, they forced him to issue a retraction. Why would Russia do it? Russia needed Hillary. I mean, Hillary sold them uranium. Russia had protection. Russia was safe from Turkey, which is not safe anymore because war is brewing. Russia was fine with the establishment because they had an agreement. Russia was the second, remember, to take the uranium off Iran in processing. So they had steady flow of income, even though they were like the child of the lesser god in the global cabal. So why would Russia want not Hillary to get in, but have a loose cannon like President Trump? It makes absolutely no sense. But the way they pose it to you is such. And you know, at the end of the day, all this is going to come to surface. See, it makes me irk 
when I listen to commentary like this, when I see videos like this, because it's like, oh my gosh, how dare they? But you know what we need to do? Archive everything, man. Take screenshots, download videos. Damn, do I regret not downloading that video. There isn't a day that goes by that I'm not resting my head on the pillow and I'm searching on my phone to find that darn video where the guy testified and say they bottlenecked it. It was not Russian code. It was Chinese. It was made to look like Russian. He said it himself, 2016, August, either in the House or Senate, and I saw it, and I didn't take it. It sucks. It totally sucks. But the bottom line is let them listen to their narrative because when Seth Rich comes out, this is all going to make sense because they conspired to cover up a murder. They made it seem like a conspiracy theory. They made it seem like it didn't exist. I mean, crossfire hurricane. Whoa, not even creative to say we're trying to scrub hurricane electric type servers or hurricane electric period. I mean, do your homework. Look up hurricane electric servers. Look how your .gov is based on it. Look at Germany's on it and Merkel's party's on it. Buckingham Palace Canada, Australia, (laughs) Uganda, Hurricane Electric. That's like their Napster for information. And it all was centered in Luxembourg. So weird. And, you know, remember how I've been talking about Global Services Group, right? Globalgroup.com. I know a lot of you that are listeners searched the website, saw it. All these former intelligence guys, former GCHQ, former CIA, former NSA, former DNI, all there. And suddenly another reporter like Millie Weaver, Millennial Millie, puts out a report about them, shows screenshots of their face, and guess what happened? The site is taken down, obviously revamped. I mean, we can't have that out in the open because, you know, we can't have people digging into it. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't digging into it. Damazian Group, right? The funding group that was like, you know, by Diablo, now changed it. And they show trees and green air and we're still a family investment. I wonder where all that money's coming from. I'm not going to point fingers at the Ukraine, but if I must, I can show some. So here is where it is all coming together. Like I said, if we want to take them down, we can't go by, oh, he said, she said, or he's corrupt, he's corrupt. He opened it and all of those are crimes. Don't get me wrong. What they did to this president, what they have done to us, you know, it's one thing saying, well, you know, they've been stealing your election with algorithms and working with foreign companies and CIDL and the European Union and, 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 and they've been manufacturing, um, you know, things that can target you molecularly. Yes. And 5G, great frequencies to activate a lot of things, you know, not because you don't resonate on frequencies, but that sounds all far-fetched. You can't do that. But what's not far-fetched is murder. To cover up the guy that tried to expose, and he wasn't going for taking your memorandums of understanding. He wasn't going with your pay slips, parties, emails, and all these other documents. Algorithms, that's the key. The algorithm that they deploy in order to fractional collect into these trap doors and steal your votes. I mean, man, have you ever heard of so many people voting at once? I mean, what do we have? A hundred and fifty million people vote when the average is 70 million kind of looks weird imagine how many people came out for trump 
That was a landslide in 2016. I don't care what anybody says. She did not win the popular vote. That was stolen with their software that unfortunately this young guy who was trying to just download the whole thing because he didn't know what to download for to show that they were fixing their own elections, that they were stealing money, using union money. Oh man, you got to see emails between Amalgamated Bank and the Clintons. Now that's going to be a really fun show. But this poor guy tries to get proof that they're fixing the elections, decides, I don't know how to do it, takes the whole thing, speaks with someone who tells him how to do it, and I don't know who that someone is, uh, because all I know is that it might have been one of the group guys uh, or gals, because I'm a gal. They don't know. I'm a guy. And I'm sure some of them listen <laughs> to my show. But here's the thing, that, that he went and did that because he believed in democracy. He believed in everything that he was doing. He didn't think it was this corrupt. And when he realized it, he said it was about time to show the people. So he downloaded this whole thing, not knowing that he was carrying the mother load. And that's what got him killed. And that's what's going to liberate us because you can't create a gray area on murder. You just can't. Listen to how 60 Minutes further covers this up, ridicules the president, calls it a conspiracy theory. Again, so it's like every, you know, four to six weeks, they have another segment either on 60 Minutes or on the news where they talk about how trivial it is, yet they don't talk about the facts. No federal contract allowing them to conduct forensic activities. No hiring by federal authorities. No actual server. Like what prosecutor is going to sit there and go to court and say, yeah, so I got a report from this private company. I'm totally indicting these people and I'm pressing charges. And the judge is going to be like, all right, well, did you see it or are you just taking their word for it? Yeah, I'm just taking their word for it. All right, show me the, the vendor, you know, application and approval that they are an authorized entity by the federal government. Yeah, I don't have that. Well, then you can't have this. It's like the DNA test kit information that I'm saying. You take your ex to court and you're like, yep, you know, he's my baby daddy done and the judge is like where's the dna test here it is where'd you get this done yeah right down the road from me like over there it's called do my dna or find my baby daddy and he's like all right show me the contract that says that our city county state or federal government uh you know uh consider them to be valid yeah i don't have it it's my friend's friend of a friend did me a favor yeah that doesn't work you're not going to use that. It has to be federally approved, court approved, county approved, something approved. So it doesn't work like that. That is exactly what they did. They used find my baby daddy DNA and they indicted made up people, which one day you hear is 12. The other day you hear is 13. Pretty weird, right? The number and stuff. Probably Through all of this, Vladimir Putin wasn't just standing idly by. He was working to shift blame away from Russia. What we can see is that Russia did what Russia does, and that is piling on. They amplify those narratives in ways that then uh, advance Russia's own interests. They look for conspiracy theories that are already out there. They're picking up on elements or narratives that already exist in a society and amplifying those narratives that advance Russian interests. The interest of Putin was to drive a wedge between his enemy, Ukraine, and Ukraine's most important ally, the United States. A successful, prosperous, 
uh, Western-oriented Ukraine provides a direct threat to Putin's hold on power. He can't have a successful Ukraine on his southern border because then it demonstrates to Russians uh, what is possible. Two weeks after Mr. Trump's inauguration, Putin said in this news conference, it was not Russia that helped Donald Trump, but Ukraine that helped Hillary Clinton. Russian media and U.S. conspiracy websites began to spin suspicion of Ukraine. Ultimately, those rumors appealed to Mr. Trump's private lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who was working to discredit the investigations of Russian meddling in 2016. And there were concerns um, that there was another game being played, another channel um, that Mr. Giuliani was involved in. Oh, my gosh. Like, Bill Taylor should be sued. Like, period. Sued. Now, I'm going to skip over to CrowdStrike and what they have to say, because this, for me, is horrible. We already know that CrowdStrike fixed it. We already know that they're corrupt. I mean, they're covering up Mueller's prized dude on cyber, who's the president of the darn company in the U.S. Server, they say, is held by a company whose primary ownership individual is from Ukraine. I'd like to see the server. Are there any links to your knowledge between CrowdStrike and anyone in Ukraine? Not to my knowledge. Was this something that the embassy... Are you kidding? CrowdStrike was created in the Ukraine by a Ukrainian that later came to the United States. Are we insane? Like, this is a fact. Like, well, where is Bill... Guys, Bill Taylor needs to be put on a 72-hour hold. That's just freaking insane, isn't it? The guy was born in the Ukraine. He built the company through USSR-type programs, built it up, has his headquarters in Ukraine, and then comes here, kind of like your blimp maker. Started with USSR stuff, then came over here. I mean, this is insane. And why is, you know, Sean... Sean, why is Sean Mueller's star child, Sean Henry, named the president of U.S.? CrowdStrike. Come on. Like, this is them hiding in plain sight. Listen to them. He was concerned about. No. During the investigation you were leading, did CrowdStrike ever send any of the DNC's computer hardware to Ukraine? No. That, that, is, that is insane, and that is not... Yeah, they didn't. They seeded the whole server on their own hardware in the Ukraine, and that's how it happened. Within the, the realm of reality. Last July, reality suffered a final blow. The story Mr. Trump first adopted as a server the FBI was blocked from seeing, and then became the server investigated by a Ukrainian company, finally morphed into the server hidden in Ukraine. And it is hidden in the Ukraine. And unfortunately, my time is up for today. Don't forget to prescribe, subscribe. Oh, my gosh. To subscribe, Star. And I will see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place, only on Red State Talk Radio. And we will have an extended version of CrowdStrike Ukraine and Seth Rich uh, coming to you through Subscribe Star. God bless from everyone here at Red State. Mm-hmm.